I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Hi, and welcome back to a special edition of All Things Catholic. This week, the church is getting ready to celebrate one of my favorite feasts in the whole liturgical year. Coming up here is the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord, February 2nd. You may know this as the fourth joyful mystery when Mary and Joseph bring the child Jesus to the temple. But this isn't just a beautiful moment in the life of the Holy Family. This is a significant turning point in the whole history of the Bible, really the history of the world. Did you know that? You see, the Jewish people for hundreds of years had been longing for God's presence, his holy presence, his glory to return to the temple. And on this day, it finally happened. So what I want to do is help you get spiritually ready for this great feast day. And I'm going to take you to Jerusalem. This episode was recorded right there on the southern steps of the temple in Jerusalem, where the scene unfolded originally. Another thing we can consider as we're here in Jerusalem on the southern steps of the temple is uh, what happened when Simeon said those famous words to Mary about the glory being revealed, the glory being revealed. This took place in that presentation scene, that fourth mystery of the rosary, where, the, where Simeon says that this child is going to be light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to thy people Israel. What I want to do is really unpack the meaning of those words and what they would have meant, specifically spoken right here, uh, right here in this very space. If Simeon is talking about glory in general, that would be pretty exciting. But for him to talk about glory being revealed right here on the southern steps of the temple, that would have had profound significance. Let's talk about the theme of glory in the Bible. The glory of the Lord was the visible manifestation of God's holy presence. We first see this at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. We read about how the glory of the Lord overshadows the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus chapter 40. The Ark of the Covenant is constructed there at Mount Sinai and the glory of the Lord comes and overshadows the tabernacle, that tent of meeting, that portable temple that the Israelites had uh, throughout their desert wanderings uh, in, in the Exodus story. Now that glory of the Lord, it remains with the Ark of the Covenant, but it eventually fills the holy temple. When Solomon builds the temple and dedicates the temple, he uh, the, at the moment of dedication, that glory of the Lord comes in and fills the Holy of Holies. I love this image. We have a little children's Bible story uh, that goes through the Old Testament. And when my kids get ready for their first communion, I often read that story from 1 Kings, that moment when Solomon dedicated the temple. And there's this beautiful religious art image of the, the, the glory of the Lord coming in, this, all this light and the cloud pouring into the Holy of Holies. And I say to my kids, that's what's going to happen to you tomorrow when you receive your first Holy Communion. That same God is going to come and enter you. But it's even more amazing than it was back then because you're going to have the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's even greater. The glory of the Lord will fill you. You'll become like a tabernacle, a temple. Uh, but for, for our purposes here, I want you to know that the glory of the Lord resided in this temple here for many centuries. But in 586 B.C., when Babylon came in and, and, and invaded the city, destroyed the temple, 
something very interesting happened with the glory of the Lord. You read about it in the book of Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel chapter 10 foretells how the glory of the Lord, he has a vision of the, of the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. It goes up above the temple, above the city, and then departs from the city. And that's an ominous sign about how God is leaving the temple. The Babylonians are going to come in and desecrate this space. And the glory of the Lord has left Jerusalem. Now it's true in 515 BC, the Jews eventually come back to Jerusalem and and they start to rebuild the temple, but it's not nearly as big. It's not nearly as glorious as Solomon's temple was. But one of the biggest things is this. There's no reference to the Ark of the Covenant and the glory of the Lord coming back to the temple in that period. So, in fact, uh, according to the book of Maccabees, what happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Remember the Ark of the Covenant, that vessel that carried the remains of the Ten Commandments and some of the manna and Aaron's staff? That Ark of the Covenant, the, the most sacred item it carried, was the holy presence of God, the glory of the Lord. But the book of Maccabees tells us before Babylon came in, what did Jeremiah do with the Ark of the Covenant? He hid it in a mountain. And it was never going to be found. That's what the Bible tells us. The ark was hidden by Jeremiah and would never be found. No matter what Indiana Jones tells you, the ark of the covenant would never be found. So when the Jews come back in 515 BC to rebuild their temple, it's beautiful and and they worship there and it's built over the place where God's holy presence had at one time dwelt. But is there any record of the ark ever coming back here? No. Is there any record of the glory of the Lord returning like it did, like when it first filled the temple in Solomon's period? No account of this. And so there's a sense in which the temple, it's still sacred. It's it's the most important place in the universe. And yet there was a longing for something more, a longing for God's presence to come back, a longing for the glory to return. And there were some prophecies that foretold the coming of God's glory. God's glory will come back to the temple one day. So there's this longing for the glory to return. Now, with that background in mind, I want to share with you one prophecy that might uh, touch on this. In the book of Daniel, this is fascinating here. I really want you to pay attention on this point here because this little prophecy from Daniel, uh, if, if you understand it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay great dividends for you understanding the scene of the presentation like never before. Alrighty, so in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is one of those young Jewish boys that was taken off and made a slave in Babylon. He grows up there and trained in their system, and then he utters a number of prophecies. And one of the prophecies he gives later in his life is about how God is going to come back. He's going to send an anointed one. He's going to restore the temple, restore the people. uh, And and this anointed one is going to make a covenant with the many nations, gathering the nations back. And this is one of the few prophecies that actually, it's actually the prophecy that has a timeline. Many other prophecies just talk about what's going to happen in the future, but Daniel gives a timeline for when this is all going to happen. He says it's going to happen in 70 weeks of years. 70 weeks of years. Now, that's a strange way of talking about time. But if you think about it, 70 weeks, what would that symbolize? What's a week? A week is, consists of seven days. So when you hear of 70 weeks of years, think of that as 70 times 7. So 70 weeks of years, 70 times 7, how many years is that? 490 years. 
roughly. This is biblical symbolism. We don't have to narrow it down to the exact number, but it's about, about five centuries, right? 490 years. That's what this prophecy is all about. And one of the things Daniel tells us is going to happen in Daniel 9, verse 17, is that he's praying to God, and he's praying that God may cause his face to shine on the sanctuary, which is desolate. So he's praying for Jerusalem. He's praying for God to turn his, his anger away from Jerusalem. And he's saying, God, we've been in exile. Yes, we were, we were justly punished for our sins. This is all fair. But, but now the time of suffering's over. We've done our punishment. So now, Lord, turn your anger away from Jerusalem. Cause your face to shine on your sanctuary again. Now, God's face in the Bible, that's, that's like God's presence. What Daniel's praying for is may God's presence shine in the sanctuary, in the temple again. May God's face, may God's presence dwell in Jerusalem again. That's what he's longing for. And Daniel is given this great prophecy that then, when is that going to happen? 70 weeks of years later. How long is 70 weeks? 490 years. Keep that in mind. you know why? Because in Luke's gospel, the presentation scene takes place on a very important day. A very important day in Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel starts off, and, and you could tell he's very concerned about chronology. He's very concerned about the order of how many days one event happens after another after another, how many months pass. And so the first story in Luke's gospel is the story of uh, Mary's uh, kinswoman, Elizabeth, her, and, and, and his, her, her, her husband, Zechariah. They have not been able to have a baby. Zechariah goes, he's a priest, so he goes for his temple service. And what happens? He sees the angel Gabriel. Gabriel announces, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah can't believe it. Uh, and he doubts, right? And then he's, he's made mute. So as, as I said earlier, he goes on a, a nine-month silent retreat now uh, to go ponder the words of Gabriel. But what's important is Gabriel, he, the last time Gabriel was mentioned in the Bible, do you know when it was? It wasn't with Mary. That comes later. It wasn't just with Zechariah. Gabriel appeared earlier in the Bible. Do you know who Gabriel appeared to? Who did Gabriel appear to last? Take a guess. The prophet Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel was the one that responds to Daniel's prayer for God's face to shine on the sanctuary. Gabriel is the one who gives Daniel this timeline of the 70 weeks of years. And, and it's going to take that long for God to come back to the temple and restore the people. So the last time Gabriel appears was to Daniel. The next time he appears is to Zechariah in the temple. Now what happens? Go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Five months have passed, the Bible tells us. Five months have passed after Zechariah saw Gabriel and his wife is now pregnant and he's still on a silent retreat. And then Luke chapter 1, verse 26 reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to, the, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So what is that? The sixth month. This is the sixth month in Luke's gospel. So Gabriel appears to Zechariah. That's day one of Luke's gospel. Now we zoom ahead to the sixth month in Luke's gospel, the Annunciation to Mary. What day is this in Luke's gospel? If it's the sixth month and the, the, the ancient Jews saw a month consisted of 30 days, what day are we on in Luke's gospel? Six times 30. So if a month is 30, 
days, and there's six months past in Luke's gospel. What day are we on in Luke's gospel? Day number 180, six times 30. So this is the 180th day in Luke's gospel. Then Mary gets the annunciation. She becomes pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit, conceiving a child by the Holy Spirit. And then how long is a pregnancy? How many months? Nine months. So nine months is how many days in the Jewish ordering of things? If every day, every month is 30 days, nine months is how many days? 270 days. So the Annunciation took place on day 180. You add on nine months or add on 270 days. What day are we on when Jesus is born in Bethlehem? Day 450. You following that? You all following me? So day one, the Annunciation to Zechariah. Six months pass. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary at the Annunciation. Six months, that's 180 days. So we're on day number 180 when the Annunciation happens in Nazareth to Mary. And now you go nine months further down the road. That's 270 days down the road. That makes it 270 plus 180 puts you at day number 450 in Luke's Gospel. That's when Jesus is born in Bethlehem. When did the presentation take place? On the 40th day after the child was born. So now you move ahead 40 days after the 450th day. What day are we on in Luke's gospel? It's the 490th day in Luke's gospel when Simeon meets Mary here on the steps of the southern, the southern steps of the temple in the presentation scene and says that he has seen a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for thy people Israel. Picture Simeon standing right here and talking about the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. He's standing right here in the barren temple and he's talking about the glory of the Lord returning. The hopes of Israel for the glory of the Lord to return. The 490 years, the 70 weeks of years, those are brought to fulfillment on the 490th day in Luke's gospel right here at the temple. One last little thing is, where did the glory of the Lord reside? Do you remember? How was it brought to the temple originally? It hovered over the Ark of the Covenant. Who brought the glory of the Lord back to the temple? The Blessed Virgin Mary. How does Luke's Gospel describe the Blessed Virgin Mary in the visitation scene? She is described as the glory or as the Ark of the Covenant. Just as the Ark of the Covenant went from the hill country of Judea and went to the house of Obededom and was blessing that house for three months and David was leaping and dancing before the ark. So Mary goes to that same hill country of Judea and she goes to the, not the house of Obedim, but the house of Zechariah. She stays for three months and the baby in Elizabeth's womb was leaping. That's the exact same word in the Greek, the leaping in Elizabeth's womb, like David was leaping. Luke's gospel, many Protestant scholars have noted this. I'm drawing on Protestant scholars here. How about how the visitation scene is presenting Mary as the new Ark of the Covenant. And just as David once said way back then when the Ark was brought there to the hill country today, he was just in awe over this. And he says, how, why is it granted to me that the Ark of the Lord should come to me? What does that sound like? It sounds like Elizabeth's words in the visitation, right? Why is it granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. She's echoing the words of David because the whole scene of the visitation is, is, a, is like a representation of 2 Samuel 6 and the journey of the Ark of the Covenant. 
And then just as David was described, uh, or the Levitical priests were described as exclaiming and shouting before the ark in praise, that's the one time you find this word in the whole New Testament is in the visitation scene, this word for shouting and exclaiming. Many words could be used, but there's one word, anaphaneo in Greek, that is used six times in the Old Testament to describe a Levitical priest praising God before the Ark of the Covenant. That word is used only one time in the entire New Testament, and it's found right there in the visitation scene. Elizabeth is presented as praising God before the new Ark of the Covenant, like the Levitical priest did of old. So I think it's so fitting that Mary is the one here who brings the glory of the Lord back to the holy temple. Isn't God's word amazing? Let us give great thanks and praise to our Lord for putting all these beautiful connections in scripture that help us to ponder the mystery of his son, his coming, and his blessed mother. So we thank you, Jesus, for your word, and we thank you for this great feast of the presentation. If this was helpful for you, I ask that you share it with other people, and if you could subscribe to this podcast, I would be very grateful. If you want to reach out to me, always feel free to contact me on my website, edwards3.com. Where you could also find me on Facebook and Twitter. May God bless you.